0: Welcome to the Real Producers Partners podcast. This podcast is done in conjunction with Real Producers St. Louis, Metro East, New Orleans, Baltimore, Chesapeake Bay, and West Valley, Arizona. It focuses on our top real estate performers and partners who support real estate and home services, their successes, stories, and challenges. Your host is Ken Tucker, Marketing Solution Architect at ChangeScape Web. The Real Producers Partners Podcast is produced by ChangeScape Web.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Real Producers Partners Podcast. I'm Ken Tucker with ChangeScape Web, and today I'm joined by Courtney Fricky of North Shore Real Estate Investor Association. Welcome, Courtney.
2: Hey, I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure thing. As a partner for Real Producers, I've been with them for a few years now. I'm not a licensed agent. What I have is the the Real Estate Investors Association. Most areas have one where it's kind of like a meetup meant to educate. Well, it's also meant for networking for investors. And so I run one of the ones in the New Orleans area, but through that, so I do a lot of education for the community on real estate investing and things like that. So obviously I'm a real estate investor. But I consider myself more so a creative real estate investor. The normal types of deals, I those seem to elude me.
1: So. All right, all right. Tell me, what do you see as creative real estate investing?
2: My favorite way to look at it is when people say Courtney, you're an out of the box thinker. What I've learned throughout the years, through various cycles in real estate, the creative real estate investors have shown, especially during down times. I like to think of that as what box? There's really no box to get a deal done. So many times we're so used to the conventional and traditional methods, but for me, uh, anything's up for grabs. I had some underneath my desk, 40,000 baseball cards. I plan to use them maybe as a down payment on a house. There's many different currencies. It doesn't have to be your normal, normal makeup of how to do a deal.
1: Hmm. Okay. So how do you find those opportunities?
2: That is an excellent question. And usually that's the one everyone says, oh no, you can't do that. But I mean, this house, I bought this house where I live creatively, my, even my own primary residence, it comes from finding people who have a problem and they need a solution. Sometimes the market is the solution, but this house right here. It wouldn't sell based on its condition, based on the price that the seller needed. And the seller was facing foreclosure. And here's the other thing is other investors was making cash offers and all the cash offers were below what this guy owed on his house. With some other issues, we looked at multiple different options and that's usually what I do. I usually, I say, hey, let me take off my buyer hat. Let me say, hey, here are your options so you can make an educated decision for your family. And maybe only one or two of them is doing business with me. But again, as an educator in the community, I care about helping people. I care about solving the real estate problems in my community. And great. Sometimes I buy houses too. Yeah, Not always. Which is, again, the, the Real Estate Investors Association is a part of that. Every month I write an article actually for the New Orleans Real Producers Magazine on solving these types of problems as well as investing. And I'm on the radio every weekend as well. So I lead with that foot of being... A trusted advisor, and I say, Hey, I'm one of the options. I don't have to be the option. There might be a better one. Go that route.
1: Absolutely. I approach my business, it sounds like very much the same way. I mean, educate first. That's really the key. That's where my passion mm-hmm. is. That's what gets me excited. I, I love trying to help people. In my case, the crazy world of digital marketing. We're kind of in a strange economy, been for a while. Tell me, what's investing like in a shifting market like we're seeing?
2: You know, that's, that's a really good question. And it's a question I believe many people are asking. So I do go and speak at real estate brokerages and whatnot as well. That's probably one of the most prevalent questions I'm getting right now is what are investors doing? At the end of the day, the idea of an investment is usually it's towards some future goal, right? Like I'm investing, maybe it's someone's retirement. So my, so I've got rental portfolios in two States. That's a big part of my retirement plan. Here's a major factor though, is, is we all know people who have owned real estate, but have lost it. Especially when you go back to 06, 07, 08, most people know someone who's made money. Most people know someone who lost money. Uh, and then there's some people who just went through survival mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the difference between that is your plan. I think a big part of that is the risk factor. I was talking with a lender the other day. We both talked about how a lot of times investors don't know when to get off the roller coaster. And so a big part of that is obviously the market has been really high for these last few years. We call it having a yield sickness, wanting to get such a return and it's, oh, I want to get a return, but they're not seeing the impending issue. So a big part of that is just being mindful of risk. Down in Louisiana, we're seeing a very special issue that not the rest of the country is really seeing. And so we're having to be very strategic with things. It's, It's the insurance issue that we're having down there that is taking an already interesting economic time and making it even more difficult because we're struggling getting affordable insurance rates if we can insure the property at all
1: Hmm, those things
2: causing us to have to be very cautious
1: why is that
2: the last few years we've had some major hits so you know the hurricanes we had a tornado between that and then inflation the rising cost of materials the rising cost of labor demand on materials as well so imagine the last two years what the country's gone through then imagine having to help a significant part of a community rebuild hmm. but they were only insured for a small amount so if you're only insured for a small amount but the cost to fix it is now exceeding that because of inflation and these other factors what happened is don't quote me on this but i think we're between eight to ten insurance companies have gone belly up in the state of louisiana Wow. And so at that point now, the state's having to step in and they're in receivership and the state's having to work on giving people payouts for their policies. That happened over a year ago now, right? For mm-hmm. Ida, the real big one. So those issues are coming into play right now, all of our renewals. So for example, I've got a commercial policy with my rental policies on them, or that's very common for investors, right? We're expecting our insurance person is telling us expect a 30 to 40% increase, on what you're paying right now. There's just nothing we can do about it because there's so few players who are insuring in the state right now. Many have stopped writing policies. They have left the state. And a big part of that is they're putting limits. We only wanna have so many multifamily policies in this parish. For example, it used to be 30 companies that they would give me a quote from these underwriters. Now we're looking anywhere from one to four.
1: Wow.
2: So in some areas, with it just being that one, it's usually the state one and that one just, it sucks. You know, yeah. it's a policy, mm-hmm. it's not a good policy.
1: So FEMA doesn't provide any help for anything like that?
2: It's not just flood insurance. It's the building insurance policy. They're really trying to do things at a state level, but it's a yeah. dumpster fire. It's To give you an example, I mention them on the radio every weekend. Most major metro markets have a home improvement show mm-hmm. and I answer live calls for two hours every saturday and i answer all the real estate related ones we had a homeowner who had a larger primary residence but just to cover the building so not the flood was normally 6200 a year but again nicer home their renewal came back at 18 grand with playing with the different deductibles and with you know making some adjust adjustments the cheapest they got was thirteen thousand. so what is that going to do to their ability to afford those monthly payments on top yeah. of everything else, oh, happens, yeah. right? But also their ability to resell it. Yeah. So those wow. are the factors we're looking at down here, which again, if you're only looking at it through the normal means, um, you know, it's, you have your normal squared, you're trying to fit it through a round um, hole, you're you're struggling, you're like, Yeah, I'm just not quite being able to get to where I'm wanting to get. And so a big part of that is, hey, what are some ways that, hey, we're hitting a wall, right? In the greater New Orleans area, we're hitting a wall. Um, How can we get around it? How we can get through it? So no matter what, going back to the original question, in a changing market, you've gotta assess risk. So I know some investors who are leaving the New Orleans area. Um, Hmm. I know I'm working a few house packages of, basically it's a portfolio of all their rental properties. The second thing is, is spreading out the risk, where sometimes it, for example, I own rental properties in two states. Maybe it's where it's not all within 30 minutes of each other, maybe going an hour north or something like that.
1: Yeah. So if somebody wanted to get into uh, real estate investing, how do they go about doing that?
2: The first thing they need to do is get educated. A lot of times people, I refer to this, when people say, I want to invest in real estate, it's like walking up to the counter at the airport and saying, I want to fly to Europe. That's not going to buy you a ticket. It gives us a general direction, but that is definitely not something you can start packing for this, that. So a big part of that is figuring out what do you want to do? I call it building out a business plan, right? Because sure. everyone's like, oh, HGTV, let me flip. I can tell you, I flipped a significant amount of properties and I hate it. <laughs> like So mm-hmm. I now uh, try to avoid it. So she's really figuring out how you need real estate to serve you because look, if you need retirement, you shouldn't flip that is not retirement money. That is a job. So, but most people, they're not educated enough to know that. So the best investment most people can do is go get around some investors who are doing what you want to do. Maybe you're saying, I don't know what that is. So I always recommend to go find uh, like what I run, the local real estate investor meetup. They're all over the country. The New Orleans area has multiple go do that get around investors immerse yourself in the culture and start recognizing when you really resonate with something that someone says or that they're doing and say hey let me learn more about that and kind of go from there
1: so if somebody is going to move into the investment space do they typically get connected with property managers or do a lot of people take on that burden as well
2: no that's a good one look i'm a firm believer that real estate is a team sport so no matter what, people do need to build out their team. When it comes down to management, I have a few properties within my portfolios that we self-manage, but then a good bit of it is outsourced, like third-party property management. Right. That doesn't mean mailbox money. There still needs to be some management of that relationship of expectations of, hey, what's going on? And not all property managers are created equal, but management is a skill set. So whether you possess it or you hire someone who possesses it, you need to know what that skill set looks like to be able to recognize it, either training it in yourself, like going and getting training or knowing when the person you hired is doing the right job for what you're trying to accomplish.
1: I remember back in, in college, ironically, I wound up doing an internship for a guy that I wound up renting from. Later, after I was uh, in my graduate studies, he chose to not only be the investor and owner of of the properties, but he was also the handyman and (laughs) he owned several and he would be gone for weeks at a time because of his job. He also loved to go into the mountains and just be dropped off for two weeks, absolutely no contact and just live off the land and basically survive. So there was no way to get a hold of him. In retrospect, I'm thinking it probably would have been a smart idea for him to outsource that. Some people may see it as a hobby. They may enjoy doing it. But if you're looking at scaling, I think it definitely makes sense to, to partner with somebody who can really take that on, especially if you're dealing with multiple properties.
2: I'm a big believer. So I've been having this conversation a lot. I call someone who's a mom and pop landlord. That is someone who owns just a few properties or maybe just one. That mom and pop landlord, it's no matter what, I'm a firm believer that you have to treat the real estate you own as a business or you won't own it for very long. Because I buy from people all day long who they've owned it, but they didn't build wealth through owning it because they mismanaged it. They didn't manage the finances or the repairs or the tenants. So you have to treat it like a business, That includes things like having a reserves for when the roof needs to be replaced or ongoing repairs or, hey, if the tenant's not there to be able to pay the taxes and insurance or the mortgage if there's no income coming in. You gotta treat it like a business in order for it to to pay you like a business. I believe that that mom and pop landlord model where they do a lot of the stuff themselves, it's really like a hobby. One of the biggest things I say, Be careful, because I think that that model is a dying breed, because with the rising cost of everything, also the tenant landlord relationship is changing and stuff like that. That's what I'm seeing so much of the issues right now is with those mom and pop landlords, because they're getting hit really hard.
1: Did that change in part because of COVID?
2: Correct. We saw a lot of that happen. A lot of investors really opened their eyes during COVID. The geopolitical climate, one part, there's still places still trying to be able to evict tenants who are still trying in certain states. So that was one of the reasons why I started investing in a different state. Because I saw that if you had all your eggs in one state, it was really interesting to see how that state responded.
1: Absolutely. Well, or like you said, and all of your properties are within 30 miles. You guys getting hit with hurricanes, that's a risk. You might want to think about diversifying your portfolio.
2: Yep. So that geographical um, diversification, that was part of it because I'm still going through some of my insurance claims right now as well on, on my properties. And so uh, that was another part of it is if you have everything you own in one area, obviously down here, we're prone to hurricanes and other things. Again, it's assessing that risk and knowing when to pivot or to look at things. Don't get me wrong. There's benefits of having everything within 30 minutes. I understand. It's a lot easier to build your team within sure. a 30-minute radius. It is not easy to build multiple sets of teams because not everyone's willing to travel.
1: Right. Do it by design, though, not, not because you didn't think about the risks.
2: 1,000%. Invest by design, not by default. And too many people do it by default.
1: All right. How would you recommend somebody start to work with an investor?
2: One of the biggest things I I tell agents is you have a lot that you can provide an investor, but you need to first assess the investor because there's different levels of investing. There's something I call HGTV syndrome, right? Everyone's seen the TV shows. I kid you not, I have one of my projects because I'm not going to be getting to it for a while. I put it for sale, gut it. I said, you know what? The market's starting to shift. Let me just list it. So we had it listed in Long story short, we're having people who are like, Yeah, we've watched some TV shows where th- um, that is a six bedroom gutted house. Please, no. I would not wish that on anyone unless they were a contractor. They had the skill set. So I'm dying laughing with that. There's a level there that that really is something that's plaguing our current industry because that's an outside force that's telling people, Look, I've never flipped a house in 30 minutes and they make it look so easy in the show. One of the biggest things is you got to assess it. Generally, I say you've got either a green investor or you have a sophisticated investor. If I'd be a sophisticated investor, so I'm not licensed and I collaborate with agents, it's generally for access to a property for them to go make an offer for me, or they're representing for say, whether it's me selling off some of my rentals, which I recently did. Right now I've reassessed my portfolio. So I said, hey, there's a few that I want to sell with the insurance, the changing market. A lot of that is they're not ha- having to really educate me through the process. Right. It's not my first rodeo, not my hundred- hundredth rodeo. Here's the other thing. If that person is green and it's their first rodeo, you've got to really make sure that they're educated. Cause I mentioned earlier, if someone wants to get started, they need to educate themselves. Cause I find that very few people are just so gun ho that they'll pull the trigger without the education. They're going to look for some sort of, hey, can you show me what's a good deal? How do I know it's a good deal or when to pull the trigger? So for agents, you really need to assess. And then for someone who's really green assess where they're getting educated. If it's that person as an agent, well, they need to say, Hey, is this going to be a major investment of my time? Which is really saying, Hey, okay. For example, with our real estate investor association, we have a lot of agents who will attend with a new client of theirs or all of us, our stuff gets recorded and put on our YouTube channel. And so they'll send agents calling my podcast. It's not a podcast. It's literally just a recording of an event, but okay. They're like, Oh, I send your podcast to people all the time. I get what (laughs) you're saying, but it'll be an hour plus long training on property management or on doing a flip or whatever. And so I say, Hey, find a legitimate source. So those local real estate investor associations, whatever that looks like. Bigger Pockets is a fantastic like website that has podcasts, forums, webinars, books. Uh, an entire stack of their books right here, and I don't even own all of theirs. That is a real estate investing place that is trusted by the majority of investors. So it? it's a Bigger Pockets. It's a okay. unique name. So a lot of times I tell people their biggest podcast, because they now have like, I don't know, six or seven different types of podcasts, but their main one, which was their original podcast, I think it has over 500 episodes and they're an hour long. And the majority of it is them interviewing, you know, investors. So you get a whole gamut. I mean, apartments, you know, mobile homes, you know, short-term rentals, flips, whatever. Right. And so I tell people go, you know so with agents i say hey go listen to those educate yourself as well so because if that person is wanting to advise someone on what a good investment is um many times in a description of a listing it'll say calling all investors great investment and i will and so they usually always call me because you know my role in the as an industry leader, they'll call me and say, "Hey, Courtney, I have a listing coming up. Uh, it's a great investment property." And I and I'll usually say, "Can you tell me what makes it a great investment property?" Yeah. Um, and and that's where I start to say, "Hey, like I wanna like I wanna listen to see what those that information. Oh well, it's it's under hundred thousand. I could still overpay at hundred thousand. It's one of those things is understanding what those things. So get educated yourself." but have education resources to point people to and then assess the investor that the agent would be working with. Because I know many agents who don't like working with investors because they got with a whole bunch of new ones who they did a lot of work, a lot of handholding, and they never pulled the trigger.
1: Hmm. Do you see any opportunities coming up this weekend, uh the The Senate just passed some new initiatives, which Mm -hmm. are gonna provide some funding, I think, for replacing hot water heaters and maybe putting solar on people's homes and things like that. Is that gonna create any opportunity or do you see any other opportunities like that on the horizon?
2: I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I just finished a book this morning on a huge study on the Federal Reserve. I got in the industry in 2014, so I've only been up a rising market. I am absolutely a student of all of this. But I have very specifically sought out mentors who have been investing since the 60s and 70s. And so I go spend a lot of time with them. Um, One of them, I go spend multiple times a year, I go spend a week with him in Tampa Mm. to go say, you know, what are you seeing? How are you acting now? What are your thoughts? What should I do for my, my first changing market? Whatever time may tell becomes of the market, I wanna get around people who've been through multiple. And my understanding of that, inflation reduction bill that was passed, that that is going to be one of the factors that continues to cause more issues. The printing of that money is causing issues. The hard part here is going to be staying power. So will there be opportunities? I think so. I know it because my phone has started bringing a lot more. Okay. I've already started to, to, to see it. Obviously, we're, we're hearing all that. But One of the biggest things is that I cannot take advantage of those opportunities if I'm not in a position to weather the Rocky storm too, Yeah. Um, especially down here in Louisiana with the rising cost of insurance and things like that. I'm not protected from it. I've got rising cost as well. Yeah. Just recently sold one of my properties and I utilized a real estate specific CPA. He's a New Orleans real producers partner as well. Okay. And we created some some tax strategies so that I can keep that cash rather than have to pay Uncle Sam. I said, okay, what are some tax strategies so I can pay less in taxes because I need that money to weather the storm.
1: Yeah. With
2: that being said, historically the the deals I've done, you know I've done over 200 now, I would say probably 60% of them I bought with cash that cash came from everyday average individuals. Some of them were top producing real estate agents who made a lot of commissions and said, Courtney, I don't have the time, but I wanna get the return. So I said, okay, I've got the deal and my team will run it. They backed me financially. Or it might just be the lady who no longer likes what the certificate of deposits give at the bank. So everyday individuals. But then the other 40% or so has been creatively. So that's buying with seller financing, bond for deed, buying it subject to the existing financing, all these creative options. One of the biggest things, not only am I being told to prepare for, but I'm preparing for is that that number is going to greatly flip. So where I'm going to be buying more of my stuff creatively, because those properties cannot sell the traditional way. Because interest rates are too high, it's because maybe other factors like insurance and then cash is not the answer that it's been, the, the be all answer that it's been. And so with that being said, I've been doing that for years. It's not me begging someone to lend to me, do owner financing because I don't have the money. It's generally because my cash doesn't help them either. Whether that cash is not enough for what they have to get, what the loan is owed and stuff, or if they get the cash, it just goes and sits in the bank too, making nothing. Right. So that's a problem that when I talked about finding problems and solving them, that's a very real problem that I find and solve often where they're going to make less than 1% if it goes sits in the bank. Ultimately, that is where a huge part of that is understanding how to create those deals. They're not found. They're created. Again, just because I might get that property on payments doesn't mean I don't need to have money. I need to have money for when the roof or the water heater or whatever.
1: Right. And so yeah. again,
2: that's another part of the strategy is to, to make sure I have that dry powder ready. That's been part of my plan is having a significant amount of cash, not to go buy properties with, but to have enough reserves so that I can buy significant amount of properties creatively.
1: Tell me what is the most interesting property you've either purchased or invested in or flipped? Hmm.
2: I've had a good bit of them. There's always the fun stories. I've actually been starting to try to go on social media and start telling my stories. Just recently, I drove around with someone's ashes buckled up in my car that we found in one of the houses. I didn't know who it was the the sellers didn't know who it was because it had been in the family for I think three generations and it had been a rental property for a long time. No one knew whose boxes of ashes this was. and so they're buckled in my front seat and uh I drove around with them and I was like, buddy, this is this is rude, but I don't know who you are. I can't invite you into my house. So until I found the the funeral home that would probably take it. So I've got a property that I have right now that I'm actually, it's the one I mentioned. It's a larger six-bedroom house that's gutted. Um, it's one that I am finally selling. I don't mind going and renovating it, but I get bored with that. My skill set is in deal structuring, raising money, and really solving the more complex issues, that property, which I bought through Facebook, not through a Facebook ad, not through Facebook marketplace, but through someone was complaining about a vacant mall on a Facebook group. And a few Mm. people tagged me because people were talking about how it's bringing their property values down. And I say, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I don't buy malls. Right. But I do buy the vacant house in a neighborhood that's bringing down your value. So I just shared, hey, went there as a kid, I wish someone would do something with it too. But someone messaged me from that conversation and it's about a house I was right next to her mom that had sat vacant for over 10 years. And she said, it's such a beautiful home, I hate seeing it sit. Hmm. This house was built in 2004 and has sat vacant since 2009. It's on an acre, six bedroom, 3,000 square foot, when I got it, this was in 2019, it had 2.2 million in liens and judgments against it, just hmm. riddled with lawsuits and stuff like that. So I tracked down the owner. The owner actually was a contractor and a realtor. They didn't believe they still owned it. They thought the bankruptcies had gone through, the foreclosures had happened. And I, I said, look, he said, "He said 30 to 50 people a year call me about the house. i tell you the same thing, I don't own it. And I said, look, before you hang up, I believe you do. And if little Johnny down the street is bored enough and goes and breaks into that house and breaks his leg, I believe professionally that he's not going to sue whoever you think owns this. I believe he's gonna sue you because I believe your name's on the title still. And I'm pretty sure you probably don't keep insurance on it. I said, I believe that you own it so much that I'm willing to pay your hourly rate for your attorney to go ask him two questions. You know what? If I just spend that money and it's a loss on my end, it's a loss on my end, you will know for sure. Cause yeah. I'm sure you haven't asked your attorney and paid for him. And he said, okay. He called his attorney. Two days later, he called me back and he said, oh my goodness, I still own it. What am I going to do? And so I said, well, you could either put insurance on it and have it still tied to you with all those liens and judgments, or I could buy it from you subject to, it was like 35 different liens and judgments and all these different creditors. So he decided to go to my attorney so I bought it with all that clouded title and I just started going through it one by one, picking through it to where now it's ready to be sold with no creditor issues at all. Clean title. It was not an easy task, especially being some of them were were harder than others. But uh, my file for that one's about this thick. <laughs> and that one is a deal that, so it's under contract, it's being sold. I did not renovate it. So I did not go make it pretty. That is not my skill set. But it is a deal that I have less than six figures into it, but I will profit more than six figures Hmm. on the sale.
1: Cool. Well, Courtney, I enjoyed talking with you. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you?
2: If you guys go to that Courtney10k.com, it is a digital business card. So my email is on there and you can see my phone number on there. My social media is on there. I will say, you know, you can call me, you can text me, you can email me or social media, whatever's your preferred method. We monitor them all.
1: Cool. If you had one ask of our listeners or watchers today, what would that be?
2: One of my biggest things is I want to encourage people that when you resonate with someone, build on that relationship. So for example, if you're a vendor and agent in the greater New Orleans area, and you want to learn more about the creative real estate investing or investing in general or solving these problems, let's go have lunch. so that's my ask
1: okay all right great well thank you so much i enjoyed talking with you
0: likewise i appreciate
1: it thanks courtney take care
0: you too thank you for listening to today's episode please be sure and subscribe to the real producers partners podcast on your favorite podcast platform we'd love for you to review us wherever you get your podcasts Visit rppp.rocks for more episodes and links to set up a free consultation with the host of this podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned.